Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray on hosting duties as we prepare to once again immerse ourselves in that part of the heart, mind and soul where golf lives. There's a whiff of big time golf in the air as the best women players in the world prepare for the second major of the year. The US Women's Open getting underway in San Francisco in just a couple of days. That'll undoubtedly get more than a passing mention when today's guest joins us in just a moment. Sky Sports commentator Richard Kaufman on the digital line shortly. Before that, though, we look a little closer to home. In fact, just on the border of acceptable social distancing is my co-host Adrian Logue, whose radical Australian Open plan gained a bit of traction last week. There might be an mm-hmm. opportunity for you to take over by stealth there, Logue. Based on the numbers last week, Within thirty or forty years, you should have enough uh, enough support to stage a coup well, in the Australian Open. If they keep cancelling Australian Opens because of COVID, I might just stage one. I'll <laughs> yes, just, I'll just take right. it over. The Logue Open. Uh, that will be fantastic. Now we've got to watch our metaphorical P's and Q's today because we're in the company of a professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, the voice of Richard Kaufman will be familiar to many from his work commentating the European Tour, LPGA, Ladies European PN Tour, and Asian Tours for Sky Sports. It'll be added again this week at the US Women's Open unfolds from the Olympic Club. Though in a COVID world, that'll happen from London rather than San Francisco. Richard, welcome. Thanks for taking some time. Thank you. Thank you. What a welcome. Professional. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pro- two, two stumps and a bunch of nonsense to start. Um, I'll be watching my P's and Q's. You, you need at, to know up front said. as well, Richard, that a lot of your listeners for The Round probably came from Rod. He's very big fan of The Round and mentions it at every opportunity. We'll come to that a bit later. What a fantastic show that was. Sadly, not happening at the moment. But we'll find out what uh, what the go might be with The Round. I think I made a bit of a boo there. You wouldn't normally be in California for this event, would you? There's not a COVID reason for that. You're doing a different role for commentary for the US Women's Open. No. I mean, the only majors I usually cover for, for the women's are the AIG Women's Open and the Evian Championships. So I tend to do the majors in Europe, but I will cover it for Sky, uh, not as a lead commentator role. We have a, a voice presenter role. It's kind of on the graveyard shift because it starts at midnight <laughs> and finishes at four o'clock in the morning. But it's a good excuse for me to be up watching it and obviously being paid while doing it as yeah. well. So I'll just be doing a bit of commentary in and out of the breaks, some of the leaderboards, some of the promos that we do as well. But yeah, it's going to be a... Uh, another fascinating women's major. I mean, how do you pick a winner for a women's major right now? Because mm. it always seems to come left field, whoever you think is going to win. It's somebody different. Women's golf seems to have so many good players that we haven't heard of yet. Tavitanikit was a surprise for so yep. many of us. Sung Hoon Park a couple of years ago was an absolute surprise to so many of us. They must be known somewhere in the world, but we're not getting the info, <laughs> I don't think, as to just how good these players are. It also seems to me, Rich, and I think Tavitanikit's probably a prime example of this, there's a bit of that can't see it, can't be it thing happening. They've now seen Jatanagan and a lot of the Korean players have gone and had success. They've got more confidence to stand up in that final round and do what Paddy Tavitanikit did. Well, her performance was just extraordinary, wasn't it? You were expecting her all the time at the ANA to, to wilt at some point, and even a charging Lydia Ko, which mm. is enough to make most people will. I mean, she's just head down, booming drives, yeah. great wedges, putted beautifully. It was, it was an extraordinary performance. And what I've loved as well, I've been watching, obviously, the golf post-ANA, particularly the golf from Asia. I was watching, uh, I was involved actually, doing a similar role at Sky for the HSBC champions. And she was fantastic in that as well. Uh, although one player who has won a major recently, who I think might have the chance coming up uh, at Olympic club is uh, Hannah Green, because she was mm-hmm. 
playing brilliantly there and has been for a, a number of weeks now. I like what she's done since she's come back in the new year. So, yeah, Hannah could be someone that wouldn't be in the surprise mold this time if she won the major no. and someone who's playing really well. We chatted briefly about Steph Kiriakou before I pressed record. The young Australian girl won at Bonville last year and has proved a real revelation. I'd put Hannah in that same sort of category or to compare the two. Tavitanakit, you look at that golf swing, you think, well, she has to win huge tournaments. It's an incredible game. Of course, the game's about more than that at the top level. You look at Hannah and say, looks like a good golfer, but what an extraordinary competitor. And she, like Tavitanakit, was amazing when she won that major at the PGA a couple of years ago, that putt she made on 16 and the one she made on 18. lot to be said. We focus a lot on golf swings in golf, and professionals, I think, make this mistake too. Something else is required at the end, isn't it, Richard? You've been around the game and watched the game for a long time. When it comes to those last five or six holes, the swing's only a small part of what's going on and what needs to be managed. Yeah, more and more you see as the standard swings. I think there's less individuality. I mean, of course, there are exceptions to the rule. Uh, I mean, Victor Hovland in the men's game, Matt Wolf have, have emerged, obviously, in the recent years. In the women's game, though, you look at someone like Patty Tavitanikit, and you look at someone like Anne Van Dam, and the way they hit the ball, you do think they should be winning every week. But there are a number of ways of doing it. But I don't know exactly what Hannah Green's done with her coach Richie over the period between the you know, US Open in December and coming back out on the LPGA Tour. But she's added yardage to mm-hmm. her game. Yep. Um, the swing looks fantastic as well just in general really and i think she's more competitive than when she won her major a couple of years ago yeah yeah she's playing with a a lot of confidence she's actually been drawn in probably the marquee group for the u.s open as well this week she's paired with uh danielle kang and jin young ko so i think that says a lot about yeah yeah, i think that says a lot about her standing uh in golf right at the moment. Oh, undoubtedly. Look, and she's adopted that role in the wake of Naomi Osaka withdrawing from the US Women's Open tennis, uh, French Open tennis, sorry, this week. And I don't know whether you saw the note she put out overnight. She's withdrawn. She's withdrawn, right. Yeah, she put out a note saying, look, I've got some mental health issues. That's why I didn't want to talk to the press. I probably handled it badly. The focus has now shifted from the tournament to me. That's not fair on the other players. So I'm going to withdraw and come back. So she's clearly got some mental health issues. But all of that side of it, Richard, Hannah Green stepped into that role. We spoke to her a couple of times on our podcast before she won her major, uh, and she always had it. She reveled in the media attention. Not reveled in. She was comfortable with the media attention. That's a whole other bag, isn't it? And particularly for some of those Korean players who don't speak English, to be on international television, you win the US Women's Open and you don't speak English, my goodness, <laughs> it takes some fortitude to stand up and deal with that side of things, doesn't it? So that's a really important part of being successful at the top level. It is, but it's, it's I, I mean, I've been reading what's been going on with Naomi Osaka uh, and it's a fascinating story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because in tennis, it's one against the other, so you have a winner or a loser. In golf, there's less need necessarily to speak to those that have come second. But Sophia Popov did a fantastic interview the other night after she just lost, you know, in the final against Ali Ewing in the, in the match play. Um, every week, you know, if I was at uh, one of the majors and I, you know, was with the men's for many years, doing all the majors, after rounds one, two, three and four, didn't matter where he was, Tiger Woods Absolutely. had to speak. Yeah. 
similar story in Europe. Colin Montgomery had to speak. Now, Colin was a fantastic Wednesday interview. I mean, he was <laughs> up there with the best. Friday wasn't always as good, depending on where he was on the leaderboard. But, you know, you look back and you think now, you know, you, you know a little more about the personality of the character of Colin Montgomery. And you think, you know, poor guy in some respect. I don't mean poor, obviously, no, 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 no. in the back pocket and financially, but, you know, poor guy, you know, just not got anywhere near necessarily what he's expecting to get out of his day. He's, you know, got high expectations. He's got his own goals and he's maybe had them shattered by missing a putt here or putting a ball out of bounds there. And I'm sticking a microphone in his face. There's a group of 12, 15 journalists asking his questions. You know, there might be something going on in his personal life that, you know, we don't know about. Uh, and there were things going on in Monty's personal life that we did hear about. And, you know, you don't want to, I know what it's like sometimes when I've got things going on in my personal life and things that, you know, make you feel down. The last thing I want to do is, you know, have to then sit in front of a big press room and be interrogated about my round if it didn't go very well. And here's the thing. Do we ever get anything really no. amazing no. out of a post-round interview? No. Or, a po- or even a post-victory press conference? Almost it- never. Yeah. Occasionally at the Masters, the press conference there will turn. There's, there's something weird. There's a weird vibe about the Masters where the winner's press conference afterwards always does actually seem to be somewhat worthwhile. But for the most part, the rest of it, no, press conferences is never a place where you get anything, do you, Rich? As a journo, you know. The last place you'd ask a good question is a press conference. Why the hell would you give it to everybody else? You know, if you're going to ask a question, you wait till after and grab a player and, and do that. I don't think there's anything of value for the most part. Um, but it is part of yeah, the theatre. I mean, yeah, it's interesting because now it's only the big events. I, when I used to travel around Europe, which I've been doing with the men's European tour, I was a regular, first of all, doing a radio station in the UK since like the late 1990s. And you turn up wherever it would be, whether you went to the French Open, whether you went to the tournaments coming up next week, the Porsche European Open, and there'd be at least a dozen journalists in the press room. And I know you have John Huggin on with you guys a lot. John would be one of those guys. And for a commentator, it's great because you can glean a bit of information. They'll ask good questions. Now I go to tournaments and there will be some journalists maybe from Sweden if I was going to the Scandinavian mix, but there would be no press corps. No. It would be, the, you, you get your press information from, the European Tour website, their news service. You know, there's there's no, apart from the, the big events, there's there's no, you know, what I would call insightful journalism. So these press conferences don't actually really exist anymore in a, in a lot of the golf tournaments that are out there. This is beautiful. We've gone off on a wonderful rabbit hole and one of my mm-hmm. favourites. Effectively, what we're seeing in golf, and this has been accelerated by COVID, but was the trend before, as John Huggins told us many times, access to the players at big events is much more restricted than it ever used to be. We effectively now have state-run media, for want of a better term, in golf. The bulk mm-hmm. of the information comes from the PGA Tour, the LPGA, the European Tour, the Ladies European Tour, because for all sorts of reasons, as you say, there's no independent press out there covering. Now, as annoying as we are, and as many stupid questions as we ask, there's a downside to not having that independent coverage. I will say in Naomi Osaka's defence and every player at the top of their sport who gets dragged into press conferences, tedious and tiresome would not begin to describe what that process Mm. must be like. Adam Scott fulfilled that role you outlined for Tiger Woods there here in Australia. 
uh, every time he comes here. It doesn't matter what's happening. He is expected to front up to the press. By the end of a three-week run where you've been in all of them with him, you've got nothing left to ask. He's got nothing left to say. But everyone, there's some fresh journos who've got other dumb questions unrelated to the golf. And I get to the point of like, please, just be quiet. Let the man go. <laughs> it's it's brutal. It really is. And don't forget, so he's doing network TV, yep. then he's doing network radio, then yep. he's doing a press conference, and then there might be individual journalists for some time. It can, you know, you, you've been in the sunshine for five, six hours, and I know, you know, pass me the handkerchiefs, we're not crying for these guys, <laughs> but, but, you know, another hour of press, yeah. you might be wanting to work on something on your game as well. It, it, it's time-consuming as well as, exactly. as you say, can be pretty tedious. Well, there, there was a time for Brooks Kepka when he was a bit unhappy that he wasn't getting... Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. So, careful what you wish for. But Brooks also crossed that, that line in the sense where he, he uh, insisted on having Alan Shipnuck removed from a US Open press conference right. before he, he would too. speak. Pointed at him. Yeah, you get well, out. Sir, Sir Alex Ferguson used to do that yeah. every other week as a Manchester United boss. He'd be throwing a journalist out. Yeah, just uh, every now and then when he when he like <laughs> he could be quite an intimidating guy. But that that's a that's a different matter, isn't it? That's keeping the journalist on their toes. It's all part of the theatre, though. Just isn't a flex. It? At least makes yeah. that's right, yeah. makes it uh, makes it somewhat interesting. Given all of that, Richard, we know who the players this week are who'll be under the sort of spotlight we're talking about, and all of the extra time and responsibilities come with that. Not asking about winners. Who do you see deals best with that? You come across these television, especially, is a very daunting prospect. Talking to print journos is not so bad, or for the web, there's no cameras around and those sorts of things. It's a big deal for these leading players. Danielle Kang, that Hannah Green's playing with, she's a local, I think, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, from California. She'll have all mm -hmm. sorts of support and things going on, the added pressure of family and whatnot. What are the things that help that you've seen in players that help them deal with all of that, as well? Some of the players we've just talked about. Well, it's interesting. I actually do some media training as well. I've done it for the rookies when they come on the Ladies European oh, Tour. I've done it with the guys on the Asia Tour. And I know you mentioned earlier on about the linguistic difficulties mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, I, I, I've spent time with players from all over the world, you know, in Asia, for example, whose English isn't great. Uh, or it could be, I mean, there's, uh, for example, one of the players I remember from the Ladies European Tour now plays is on the LPGA, Nuria Couturios, who's a, a Spanish player. Mm, what a swing. Says, very, you know, no, yeah, great golf swing. What a golf swing yeah. she's got. And she's got, and she's got the, the metal as well. You know, yeah. we're talking about, you know, between the ears, she's, you know, when she gets in there, she, she, she knows how to keep hold of things as well. But what I noticed about talking to certain people, you can tell their personality, even if their English isn't great. I said to her, don't worry that you're English isn't great just go up there and be yourself your personality will come through by the way you smile the way you're trying to talk and she, she you know she didn't believe it and then you know she did get up on leaderboards pretty quickly she did end up doing tv interviews and okay so her english wasn't fantastic but she still managed to come across as a likable bubbly sweet young lady that she is and you know, I, that's what I say to these players is don't try and be someone you're not. You know, if you are quiet and shy, well, obviously, you know, you, you can't pretend to be, you know, not everyone's going to be like Danielle Kang and outgoing and bubbly, you know. Just you have to be yourself. Um, but obviously, 
the whole point of doing media training is to try and get the best out of what you've got. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. Or no, not. no, it kind of does. What, what do you what do you teach in media training, Richard? What is um, it? What is it that players so, need to sort of know? Or? Well, so for example, if they're doing, uh, and I haven't done any media training for a while, because with COVID and everything, it's all pretty much uh, stopped. But so, for example, the difference between press conferences and TV interviews, if you're being interviewed by the European Tour or the Ladies European Tour, you know the questioning is going to be very simple. No one's going to try and trip you up. If you are, for example, there's a an issue, maybe it's the Naomi Osaka thing that's come up in the last 24 hours, and if you're Clara Spilkova, you live in the Czech Republic, and they want a high-profile sportswoman from the Czech Republic, you might get the call and it might be something that they want to talk to you about. So, you know, have your opinion, be firm with your opinion, but remember that opinion might go elsewhere. Somebody might say, might get picked up. You are allowed to not answer the question if you don't want to. Um, but if you feel strongly about something, say it, run with it. You can live with it. If you're happy with that, do it. It's not about, because people think, Doing media training, and I know that does happen, is about telling people to clam up mm-hmm. <laughs> and not answer questions, but uh, just to be aware. I mean, it's multifold. I've showed them various interviews of people where it's gone wrong, you know, to the infamous Dustin Johnson interview, which she did after being alleged of taking uh, drugs many years ago. I never mm-hmm. know if you saw that on the Golf Channel. That's an amazing nice. interview. Uh, where it was ill-advised for him to do the interview in the first place because of the circumstances just made him look terrible at the time. Of course, it's all water under the bridge now. Um, And it is now history, but at the time, it just didn't make the player look good. Um, So media training is... I mean, you go into social media now, how you interact on that, how you deal with... People that are being horrible to you and, you know, how how to deal with, I mean, it's just, you know, a media training session can take anything from an hour to, you do. I mean, I've done with individual players where, you know, done a whole day with them in the last five, six hours. And you barely start on it in a day, I would imagine, too, because there's so much. Scratching the surface, Because you're right. I will be staggered if this week, Logue, somebody isn't asked, well, if most of the players aren't asked about the Naomi Osaka thing. Mm. It's... uh, yeah, it's a good conversation to be having, I think, because, like, well, one, it, it's just good to challenge these things. Like, do we really get a lot of value out of these post-round um, interviews and, and press conferences? Uh, it's just sort of going through the motions in a, in a lot of ways. But, um, yeah, two, looking at the player's well-being, I think, is, is an important thing. I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago in the podcast that you can make a case that fame is a form of abuse. Yeah, um, very much. And and I think this uh, situation with Naomi Osaka uh, illustrates that to some extent. Um, and the thing that interests me in these interviews is that you rarely, you so rarely get, usually it's just the Ricky Fowler thing where there's there's nothing of substance being said. And <laughs> well, uh, where Ricky suddenly got hauled into the fire. Oh, he never that. he never says anything interesting at <laughs> right. all. Like he's the poster child for just giving the stock answer. Inanity, yeah. Um, as opposed to like a Rory where- he just speaks honestly, or you know, Patrick Harrington, or or um, Ogilvy. You know, they're they're interesting because they just speak. They're just honest. Yeah, and they you know, savor the conversation. They, they actually they say what's on their minds, and, and that, that stuff's interesting, and it comes across well. And 
Rory puts his foot in it from time oh, to time. But That's what, why we love him. But it's part of being human and, and part of what makes him relatable and makes him fascinating. So, you know, I, I, that must be part of the, the training, I imagine, Richard, is just be honest. <laughs> yeah, be, as I said at the beginning, be yourself. And Rory is certainly someone. Uh, at the Open Championship, I, I, I get there on the Monday. I mean, I love everything. I, I mean, it's like a Boston's holiday. I want to be there, suck everything in. I go to all the press conferences I can just to sit there. You know, Tiger's going to turn up, Jordan Speed's going to be there. You know, Phil Mickelson's going to come in, whoever it is. Just want to sit there to see what they're like. Not, not Ricky Fowler. Don't, don't go Ricky's one. Just skip, you skip Ricky Sorry, Fowler's one, though. He's telling you to skip Ricky Fowler. I don't know why Ricky's become the poster <laughs> child all of a sudden. But the- Rick, Rick, yeah, Ricky won't be in, I don't think, unless he does something brilliant over the next few months. But uh, we're all St. George's. But, you know, there are certain players that, I mean, I. That you, I mean, I tell you, for example, um, I remember commentating a few years ago at the, you remember the Shot Clock Masters? Yes, I mean, absolutely. Great, I mm-hmm. yeah. idea format, but the winner that year was Mikko Korhonen, and I think he won wire to wire, which means he was interviewed after every round. And Mikko is obviously a, a really shy guy, um, and there's been other examples as well, but Thankfully, I wasn't doing the post-round interviews, but someone obviously had to interview him after every round. And you're getting three, four-word answers back. You're getting no insight at all into his mentality of being in the lead, to how his game is at all. And it's it's just a waste of time. It's like these in-round interviews. I mean, they're quite good in some respect. I always worry, though, you know, that you're breaking a place confidence. <laughs> oh, for yeah, sure. Concentration. Yeah. Uh, you know, something's going to happen after it and they're going to blame it on the fact that they were interviewed on TV. Uh, again, I can see that the reason why people want to see it is another chance to bring out the players' personalities, but they do worry me sometimes. There were well. some women's Australian events a few years back where they got into the habit of interviewing the winner or the leader on the 18th hole as they were walking down the fairway. Do you remember that? I don't, but that would be very dependent on the situation. If it was all tied, you're not going to do that. Player wouldn't let you, for sure. No, it wasn't. It was, I, I think, G.I. Shin at Royal Canberra. Um, oh, okay, right. So quite a while ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and Sue O, I think, um, when she won up in Queensland. Oh, okay. They, they both got interviewed on the 18th oh, fairway, and they were two ahead. That's okay. Yeah. Reasonably <laughs> tight. <laughs> that can disappear quickly, as yeah. we know. Was- uh, just quickly on that, Richard, huge shout-out for Tim Barter, who I think – Complete unknown to me until a couple of years ago when he started. When I first saw him starting to bubble on the coverage, he is the best in the business at that stuff. That is by far the highest pressure job in television doing those on-course interviews for all those reasons you just outlined. He does an extraordinary job. You could fall into a bunker for and, a start. And- <laughs> 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 there has been a, the cameraman has fallen over doing those actually once, uh, but the, Tim is um, unbelievable. He's probably the only guy who actually makes more notes than I do uh, ahead of a golf tournament week. And you, you wouldn't see. There's a list of questions you cannot ask oh, can as well yeah. during during these in round interviews as well. So to have to come up with fresh things, you're not supposed to really ask them about their round either. I mean, I suppose if they've had a hole in one or something, you're allowed to. But it, there's a lot of do's and don'ts. Yeah. So within that sphere as well, to be able to make those interviews interesting, it, you know, it is a skill. Yeah, he's, and he's extraordinary. What is the responsibility of the players in all of that then, Richard? Does Naomi, does Naomi Osaka, as many journos suggested earlier this week, have a responsibility to talk to the press? That's part of the job. Ash Barty said 
it's part of the gig. You know when you sign up. That's part of the deal. You do the press. Tiger got, came to understand that. I'm sure Adam Scott understands that. We know Tiger early in his career wasn't happy sometimes. If he shot 75, he didn't want to talk to the press. But uh, there was the famous USA. It was 97, I think, at um, Congressional. He tried to dodge talking to the press. He shot 75, I think, on the Friday and said he wasn't going to go into the press. And it was a huge deal. They were talking about it on the commentary. You know, Tigers refused to talk to the press. It all blew up in his face. What are the responsibilities of the players in these situations? It's interesting. Uh, can I just ask a question first? Did, didn't Phil Mickelson refuse to do press conference interviews last week at the at the PGA Championship My, here in Ireland after Thursday, the, Friday, I think maybe even Saturday? Possibly, did. yes. Really? Yes, yeah. you're right, actually, now that yeah. I think about it. And it barely attracted any well, wasn't he hauled really? over the coals? Oh, man, it's double standard there. Middle-aged white but, I'm saying, so, yeah. but, but I, I, I found that interesting from the point of view that Phil is normally very giving. Very much for that. So, yeah. for, you know, he gets out of it as well because, you know, he gets to put his logos and everything everywhere as well. But he showed that, I think, that mindset that he probably felt that this was the chance for me to win a major yeah. at the age of 50 and – too, too, important, too important to do the theatre because he's an actor, Phil, essentially. He's an actor. He loves to perform in front of a crowd, loves nothing more than. So he's always enjoyed that uh, that press conference. Stuff. So that's why Harrington got so many people asking him about uh-huh. it because mm. Phil wasn't doing the press conferences. Yeah. So Harrington, who was playing with Nicholson, was giving some unbelievably good insight having mm. come off the course playing with Nicholson. Um, so what do I th- – I mean, I as I said, when I, I, I tell people that, Doing media, and this is not just from a purely selfish point of view, but doing media is for them a chance to sell themselves. Now, if you're talking to players from the Ladies European Tour, even from the LPGA Tour, from the Asian Tour, the amount of publicity they get is minimal. So for their sponsors to be in front of TV and be more likable, it's a chance for them, obviously, to maybe rake in a bit more money. It becomes a little more different, as I say, if you are Adam Scott or you are Tiger Woods or you are, many years ago, Colin Montgomery or now Rory McIlroy, and you have to do it every time. I think that the players do have a responsibility to talk to for themselves and for the game, but I do think there comes a point where they are allowed to say, not today, no. thanks. Yeah. You know, obviously, I don't think this should be a, on a weekly and a daily basis, but they should be able to say, not today, yeah. and be able to move away. And if there's Naomi Osaka saying that, just not this fortnight, don't want to be interviewed, don't want to do the press conferences, give her the waiver mm-hmm. and, and speak to her in private and say, listen, we've let you, you know, get away with it here, but we can't do this moving forward because, you know, we've got a product to sell, it is a business. And you're a big part of that. You're a major yeah. Grand Slam champion. Yeah. She's paid a high price, Naomi Osaka. She's self-imposed. She's withdrawn low. So she's paid a high price. No no chance to win the French Open this year because of this issue. What's a what's a possible way to handle this? What can the can tournament organizers do something here? Is there a way to satisfy both requirements? Well, I'd be interested to see what the next statement is out of the tour because they I think had a hand to play in making this situation a lot worse because there was immediate threats of disqualification, I think, when she stopped turning up. That was the the threat that they started to uh, to hang over her head. And I thought that went that was pretty thermonuclear 
sort of way to go straight away. So I'm not a be- tennis fan, but she's a pretty popular player too, isn't she? That's a dangerous game for the ATP to play, you would think. Yeah, exactly. So let's see what their next statement is and see if there's some lessons to be learnt from this because, you know, mental health's no joke like that. No, goodness me, no. Um, so, uh, you know, we and money to- doesn't fix it, by the way. Lots of people out there will be thinking, yeah, but she's got millions. It doesn't actually fix it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think some uh, empathy for, for the players and, you know, they, they are human beings after all. Uh, you know, like Richard said, you know, we're not shedding a tear for their, uh, you know, for their what they're earning and, and you know, they're being paid fairly for, for what they're doing. That said, um, you know, they're, they're still human beings and, um, so, you know, how much value do we really get out of hauling them in front of cameras every every day? It's a gilded cage, but it's still a cage, isn't it? Absolutely. A nice cage is yep. still a cage and that doesn't change just because of the money. Does golf attract, do you think, Richard? I often always used to think about this about Kari Webb. Golf's a fabulous game for loners. Unlike team sports, don't have to turn up to train. You can go out on the golf course from the time you're seven years old until you <laughs> for the rest of your life, and play alone should you want to and get unbelievably good at it. That's different to, and I think for some players, and I think Kari's probably an example of this, comes as a bit of a surprise, all the attention that suddenly comes with that. You know, The player's intention is just to be as good as they can be, and that's fantastic, and they beat everyone. Now they're getting asked to do all this other stuff, which was never part of the deal in their eyes, and I think there may be more of that in golf, perhaps, than other sports. What do you reckon? Does it attract loners more? I, I don't know. I mean, yes, you make a very good point that it's an individual sport in the same way as tennis, tennis yeah. as well, although obviously you need someone to return the ball to you and you don't need that in golf. Um, I still think it would be naive of us to think that, you know, when they're, they're reaching for the stars, when they're aiming to, you know, and they imagine in their head or they're on the practice putting green and they're holding the putt to win the open, that they're not, I mean, obviously you can't necessarily imagine the celebrity that comes with it. I mean, a good recent example of that is someone like uh, Andrew Johnston Beef, who got a notoriety about uh, the way he interacted and somebody, you know, it went absolutely mental for him almost overnight. He won the Spanish Open, then played by the Open, and suddenly, you know, everyone wanted a a piece of beef. Um, So... It's maybe that overnight success, that meteoric rise, that suddenly everyone wants a piece of you. That can be hard to deal with, you know, whether it's be agents trying to get hold of you, sponsors trying to get hold of you, media, press. And suddenly, instead of just focusing on your game, you've got all these outside Mm. interferences that you have to deal with. So I'm not saying that's easy to deal with, but I I can't believe that anyone who's about to enter high-level sport you know, to the PGA Tour or the LPGA Tour aren't aware that there are going to be some of that come other up. things that you're going to have to deal with. Well, you know, with the exception of like a Mo Norman, um, who <laughs> allegedly- Go Right fr- to the fringes, yeah. Through, through a <laughs> tournament because he didn't want to do the interview. Annika Sorensen did the same thing. Is that a, right? As a junior amateur, yeah, would three putt the last green so that she'd finish second instead of first, just so that she didn't have to talk. She had a stutter, I, I think, felt- as a youngster that was just awful. That's the case. Mates had a stutter when he was a kid too. Yeah, right. Um Oh, it doesn't stop him talking now. The um, one of the reasons I think that profanity is so so regular in his conversation is because those gaps that used to be filled uh-huh. by a stutter perhaps now are filled by. I've discussed that with he's him. He's never sworn once on this podcast. He's never on the podcast, and yeah. podcasting has been actually a fantastic thing for Clates. I don't know whether you know Mike Clayton, Richard, but uh, he can go with the best of them when it comes to profanity. But never on the podcast. You're right. He's very good. I think uh, when we talk about 
you know, the Koreans on the LPGA who, uh, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot asked of them actually when they win a tournament in the LPGA. I, I've always thought um, Sung Hyun Park was never able to express herself as, mm-hmm. as much as she would have liked, especially when she was world number one and fantastically popular. But I also got the sense she's probably pretty shy and introverted and you know, not comfortable in front of the camera, even with a Korean audience. Yeah. Uh, she, she doesn't, she doesn't, she, she's not talkative in Korean. I mean, yeah. it's not yeah. just, yeah, English, she's not talkative, but it's, but it doesn't, she's still got, well, I don't know, all these fan clubs. Yes. Uh, she's enormously popular. Yeah. I can't remember them all, but so it's interesting that there's somebody that's very introverted, doesn't give much away yet. Yet. She's got thousands of these adoring fans, because they just love her for her golfing ability. They never gather, Richard. They're all loners, all the fan club members. They all sit in separate rooms and be fans. They don't get together because they're all introverts. Very COVID-friendly, yeah. COVID-friendly. Of course, we forget, or maybe many don't know, aside from the fame and the celebrity and everything that comes with being on the LPJ, at home in Korea, those girls are superstars. It's almost like a soap opera for them, isn't it, in their home country? We don't see any of that. There was that, the well, the famous incident with... Um, Inji Chun and was it Hana Zhang? Dropped the, the dad dropped yes, the suitcase at the airport. Yeah. yeah. So in it's Korea, my my understanding of what that how that was covered in the press in Korea was was as though two Hollywood celebrities had split up and had a divorce. It was just crazy what, what happened? happened. What Inji Chun's dad? They were going from one tournament to the next. So they're all at the airport. Inji Chun's father, I think was at the top of the escalator, and Han Ah Zhang, I think, was at the bottom, and something happened. He dropped the suitcase, and it bumbled all the way down the escalator and hit her, injured her, and she was out for maybe a couple of weeks, oh. injured her knee. Mm-hmm. Or it may have been the other way around. But in Korea, everyone just said, oh, that's an unfortunate accident. In Korea, no, 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 because they've got these huge fans. The women in Korea are, are literally celebrities. It's well beyond the golf. Oh, it's like an Olympic the, ice skating incident. Did Hung Ha-Shang eventually leave the LPGA Tour partly because of that, if I'm not mistaken? The fallout from yeah, that? There's, yeah, there's been... The, the, with Hannah Jang, there was a couple of things. She got criticised for the way she celebrated Dancing, as well. that's right, to in Singapore. Extrovert for, for the taste of you know some people in, in Korea. Listen... You know, we're talking about cultures. We're talking yeah. about. I mean, I think it's fantastic. First of all, that you know, women's golfing in, in South Korea is so popular, and that it is up there with the the number one sports in the country, up there with baseball uh, and football as well. Uh, and it's interesting. I remember there was a Korean golfer, uh, Jang, uh, Wang Junghun, who won a couple of times on the European tours. Wang, and when he was starting out on the Asian tour, he was like doing really well and he had no sponsors he had no manager and he said well there's just there's no demand for someone like me at the moment um because wow. all sponsors want to know is is, well. is the women golfers it's the shoes on the other foot everywhere else around yeah, the yeah, world of course. in mm. Korea, it's that way around it is in fact a fabulous model is it not for all of those people who will tell you people just aren't interested in women's golf well we know that's not true nonsense man we know that there's no there's no genetic reason for that because you've only got and Japan is not not all that dissimilar. My understanding of golf in Japan is that the women's golf is more popular on television in television terms than the men's on the Japanese tour. So, I mean, I often say to people when because obviously I hear a lot, oh, women's golf is is it's it's not as good as men's golf. So I say, so when what tournament did you watch? Yeah. yeah. What, 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 how much women's golf have you seen? And, well, I haven't you know haven't seen it, but. 
well, maybe you should watch it and maybe you might think differently. Yeah. yeah. What What do we do about that? You, I'm assuming you would have some thoughts on that, Richard, and it's we've all got a role to play in the press and as fans. You are regular at the Ladies European Tour, which I think is the most undervalued golf product in the world. The players are fantastic, not just in their capabilities of playing. The tour is not as deep in talent as the LPGA, obviously, but... The few events we get here in Australia each year, I've been lucky enough to cover most of them. My goodness, they work hard to promote the game and themselves at every level. What are some of the answers to, to and, what? And just on that, because I want to hear Richard talk about this as well, the Rose Ladies series mm-hmm. is maybe the most interesting venues for women's mm, golf very much at the moment every single one of those are just look like the most fabulous events, but they're, they're a little bit hard for us to, to get any footage of what's going on there, but... Sorry, Richard. Yeah, there, there, I didn't say, I don't know, there is a highlight. I mean, I did one there the other week, actually, highlights program for the Berkshire Golf Club, which uh, Gabs Cowley won, which she nearly won again on the day That's right, yeah. uh, this week. But what, what do you, I mean, listen, the question is so hard of to course, answer. What no. do you do? You, you do, I think, what's going on right now is you keep chipping away. And the more people see it, the more people will enjoy it because, as you say, the product is there. And then the more people enjoy it and watch it, the more sponsors want to get, get involved, and it becomes cyclical, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, the LPGA Tour was floundering. It's doing a lot better. It's still got a long way to go. And it's across the board in women's sport. You know, the amount of sponsorship money in women's sport compared to, to men's sport, was it 5%? I mean, it's ridiculous. Um it's actually offensive, say, isn't it? It's offensive when you think about it. There's no well, it good is, reason. It, 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 it's totally offensive, but we are where we're at. Yeah. And maybe in 50 years, maybe in 100 years, I don't know what obviously the world's going to look at like and what golf in particular is going to look like. But I do believe that there will be a greater equilibrium mm. between men's mm. and women's sport, whether that's golf or not, I don't know. But uh, it will happen, and as I say, it started already, and I think by chipping away, it will eventually get there. It wouldn't be surprise me, for example, that there's equitable prize fund within the next 10 years in the U.S. Women's Open oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and the AIG Women's Open in the Open yeah. because you've got the USGA in charge of both those tournaments I mentioned and the RNA in charge of both in the U.K., and... They're behind that right now. I see the gap in the price fund closing to an eventual point where it's the same. Yes, and that, that will be a start. And then hopefully sponsors see what that does and will follow suit as well. Speaking of responsibilities, the game's governing bodies hosting dual majors in both the men's and women's games. There's responsibilities there, isn't there? I think you're absolutely right. Uh, that they, Eamon Lynch wrote a really interesting piece about the potential for sponsorship of the US Women's Open going forward, much as I hate the term, and that's an interesting discussion which will go on. Meg McLaren, who you'd be f- familiar with, has been a guest on the podcast a few times. Her contention is, and I think the Korean and Japanese examples we just spoke about probably speak to this, her contention is part of the reason women's golf gets less attention is because it gets less attention. If women's golf had as much attention as men's golf, all of those stories would be getting told and more people would be exposed to it. In a crowded calendar, Richard, particularly with golf, is there room or capacity for LPGA and the LET in particular to think about different days for tournaments on a different schedule? The the madness of a Sunday afternoon in the US most weeks is that there'll be an LPGA event on, a PGA Tour event on, 
and a Champions Tour event on, and all will be being televised and all competing with all football, competing and, with, and so you golf as a whole dilutes the product. I hope you enjoyed your television career, Richard, because your answer to this <laughs> might be. Well, yeah. yeah, but this is. I mean, I would work every single day of the week. If I, and sometimes uh, this week, actually, I am every single day of the week. Thank goodness. After the COVID year, we've had. They did a. I was at uh, a golf tournament in Turkey where the Ladies' European Tour started on the Sunday, ended on the Wednesday. This was about five, six years ago. Uh, I think Mel Reed won it. The response to it was unbelievable. The Wednesday finish was live on the Golf Channel, live on Sky Sports in the UK, and probably was live in Australia. God knows what time, but it was live in Australia at some point because there was no other golf to show on that day. It was the final round at the conclusion of the tournament. Apparently, the viewing figures were much higher for that event than any other Ladies European Tour golf that had been shown live throughout the season. And I thought this was the first setting, first start of something that was going to be repeat, never been repeated again. And they had done it on the, the Corn Ferry Tour, haven't they? Yeah. Um, but it's not been repeated. And I heard a podcast with uh, Mike Wan recently saying that he thinks that there isn't a way forward with a Sunday to Wednesday. He thinks because there are eyeballs on golf on the Sunday. So people are watching the, the PGA Tour being played and they'll flick over uh -huh. to the LPGA and they wouldn't do that if it was on a Wednesday because no one would be watching the PGA Tour so they wouldn't then flick over to see what was going on on the LPGA. So I find that unbelievable to, to think that there would be less people watching when you're the sole interest. I have to buy out uh, Mike Wan's knowledge mm. uh, on this because of, I assume he's been fed all the, the proper information. So I, as much as I was of the thinking that doing something different was the way forward, someone who's in a very high position or has been in a very high position in ladies golf thinks differently. So I have to question my own reasoning. And there. a smart operator too, Mike Wan. You, he's not a – and an innovator, a guy who would not be afraid to do that if he thought that that was the way forward. So he must have some very good reasons uh, for thinking that that's not necessarily I must the way say, forward. Well, uh, I'm sceptical. Like, wasn't the match on a Tuesday that, that – and that – But that's course, got nothing to do with – probably the highest rating thing ever. But that's got nothing to do with golf. No, it does. It's entertainment, but that's you know that's what the but, but tours not, are these but days. But it's not just golf entertainment. That's beyond golf entertainment. You start bringing footballers in there. There's a whole different audience for that. It's got nothing to do with golf. Yeah. No, nonetheless, look, I I mean, I know I'm just speaking from personal experience. I've, I've got a Ko subscription, and you know when I switch the TV on for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there's just the replays from the weekend, which I've already seen or I've lost interest in seeing, and uh, you, you've kind of got to wait. You, you might not want to watch like a a Thursday or Friday round either. So you've got, you've got to wait, you know, another seven days before there's interesting golf back on TV. There is absolutely a spot. I agree. What It'll about a Saturday finish for, for an LPGA event? Yeah, I mean, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, what about a Wednesday finish for a PGA Tour event? I yeah. tried on the Corn Ferry, as Richard said. Which <laughs> race? <laughs> Sorry, Richard. Why, why is it the women that have to move? I was going to say, we've got a Monday finish coming up on the European Tour. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. This coming week because of uh, certain circumstances because of COVID reasons. So 
It's a Monday finish at the Porsche European Open coming up. Of course, the Middle East has a different weekend, don't they? The tournaments in the Middle East finish on a Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. Saturday is effectively Sunday. They have done. They have done, but they still generally now finish on a Sunday. The one in Qatar used to finish on a Saturday, but they moved back to a Sunday finish because the weekend in the Middle East is Friday and Saturday. Friday, Saturday, yeah. It begs the question, Richard, then, is there just too much golf? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> I, I see the more the merrier. I mean, this yeah, week um, in the last week, Rose Ladies Series, Ladies European Tour, I'm doing Cannage Tour, I'm doing European Tour, and I'm doing LPGA Tour. So for me, personally, selfishly, you know, the more right. the merrier. Yeah. But is there too much golf? Yes, there is. Because as you you mentioned events that are on a Sunday, you've only mentioned half the events. No, absolutely. I mean, it's Corn Ferry Tour. There's maybe a tournament, PJ Tour of Australia. There's Asian Tour. There's the Symmetra Tour. There's the second tier in Asia. There's there's Challenge Tour, the European Tour. There's There may be some weeks, Japan Tour. There could be sometimes as many as 12 events yep. finishing on a Sunday in the golf world. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you attract that many sponsors to compete against one another. I know they're not all in the same time zones, but which is why you're seeing, and I think it will be inevitable, the the world tour in some form will come around because it makes economic sense. I still think there has to be viable other tours, but as you're saying, do there have to be Thursday to Sunday as well? It's so quintessentially golf, that, isn't it? That you can have 12 tours. I used to do the previews and reviews for the Australian PGA down here, just a wrap-up of all Australian players around the world. And that, it was hours and hours and hours of work. Because some of those smaller tours, trying to find the Japan Tour website is predominantly in Japanese, so it's very hard to figure out who's done what. Well, Korean tour is like going Korean, on at the same yeah, time That's exactly well. right. There was the one Asian tour. There was- that's exactly right. A couple My of goodness. China, China PGA. And- yeah. But it's quintessentially golf, isn't it? We've, we've, we've really – we don't have that notion of one central controlling – overarching body in golf we never have and it's to its detriment sometimes as we're talking about there you look at if you stepped outside and looked at golf if you've got 12 events going on around the world men's events on a week then shortly for golf more broadly it would make more sense to have less than that and concentrate the focus but of course in golf that's not how it works is it the pga tour doesn't own any of the majors i think that's to the good of the game mm-hmm. but you could make a very sensible business case that that's the dumbest way for golf to be run um, but what you don't want is what you don't want is for you know everything to be focused amongst American players, or you have to be in America to make it into the world's top fifty. I mean, golf is a fantastic meritocracy. So if you're James Jane Watson and you've won five times on the Asian Tour, you, you, you're going to get yourself in the world's top one hundred. Then you're going to get a chance to play in a major championship. And if you do well in that, then you could, you know somehow make your way onto the PGA Tour. I, I, I don't want there to be closed shops. No. You know, with these super leagues, like we've seen in the you know potential they want to do in football, you, you don't want monopolies. No. You still want talent, whether it be from India, from Korea, from Sweden. You want that talent to come through and you want people to have the opportunities that – you know, the tours that, you know, if you're in Sweden, there's a chance you'll start off in the Nordic Golf League, then you'll move on to the Challenge Tour, then you'll move on to the European Tour, and then if you're good enough, you move on to the, yeah. the PGA Tour. You still want 
that ladder there. Those pathways. They're some of the best stories too, aren't they, Richard? One of my favourite, and I knew we'd get to this, one of my favourite interviews you did on The Round podcast, which was a fabulous series. Anybody, go and look it up. They're still available. Wonderful interviews. And the one you did with Laura Davies is still one of my favourite interviews ever. But you did a Agreed. fabulous interview with SSP Chowraja. And what an oh. extraordinary story for a young man from India to have achieved what he has in the game in an environment that's ultimately, it's not hostile to golf, but it's not exactly a hotbed or breeding ground for golfers internationally in India. There's lots of other things to think about before golf in India. So those stories are fantastic, aren't they? And we miss those if we have Well, yeah. Stuff. I mean, he's the son of a greenkeeper, so he was lucky that he literally grew up at a golf course. Uh, but, you know, from a humble background, in India's terms, I mean, there's a player called Chikarangapa or Chika who comes from even more humble background. But for someone like SSP, you know, having to borrow money off his mother, you know, they were down, you know, borrowing their life savings to try and make it. And, you know, he was one tournament away from having to quit yeah. and then was told he had to quit and then said, let me give it one more try and, you know, goes on and wins four times on the European tour. I mean, Fantastic story. Um, and, and there are, as you say, golf is full of them. That's what I mean. That's why I enjoyed doing the podcast so much was to try and get some of those stories out there. I mean, twice I've done my interviews, I've ended up in tears, you know. Um, Which two? Which two? But, um, well, there's the, the, the first one was uh, with Matt Southgate when he was telling me about his story with cancer and the the other story was with, I can't believe I can't remember his name now, the Zimbabwean golfer. Uh, oh, Mark, Mark. Mark, who had the car accident. Yeah. The horrific he lost his leg. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe I can't remember his name. It's terrible, isn't it? It's Mark something. Um, I mean, such an inspirational guy. I mean, just horrific. Uh, I mean, a head-on collision uh, while in his car. Um, and... 30 operations just to be able to go and play golf again. And he, he went out and he's still playing on the Sunshine Tour. I mean, it's incredible stories. And I thought that the big story for him would be something like he spoke about was coming back and playing again on the Sunshine Tour, having gone through 30 major operations. But his round was actually playing in the uh, USPGA Championship with Tiger Woods. He got dropped with Tiger Woods. Wow in the USPGA and the week before he was at a barbecue and he burnt his hand and he couldn't grip the golf club, <laughs> but he played two rounds in Tiger Woods with no skin on his hand. Wow. Basically. Put them together yeah. now, they'd have some things to talk about, wouldn't they? Car accidents, <laughs> surgeries and injuries. I, I just want to recommend the Mel Reid podcast as well, yeah, very uh, which was fabulous and probably the the best thing that yeah, best anybody's ever done with Mel. With Mel, who's you know really intimidating personality I, I, in in a lot fabulous, of ways, fabulous girl, but uh, really inspirational, and uh, she's got a great story. And Richard's Richard's podcast with Mel was amazing. The premise for anybody who doesn't know the reason it's called the round is the player nominates the round in their life that's been the most important for somebody like Kari Webb or Laura Davies. They think that'd be quite difficult, although they didn't seem to struggle with it. But that's a great premise and a great jumping off point for an interview. Just quickly, Chicka, did, am I right in remembering, did he make the most extraordinary up and down in the history of the game at the Indian Open a few years ago from the back bunker at Delhi Golf Club, which is claustrophobic. That's the one I'm thinking of. 
I'm going to go and find that on YouTube. The most amazing bunker shot you've ever seen in your life. He could well have done. He could well have done. Funky uh, golf swing, really strange action, tiny, thin, slender slip of a thing. Oh, he's so he's he's skinny as a rake. He really is. Yeah, Yeah. but um, he's a good golfer. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I know it's been hard in Australia. You know, only having a handful of events, but there hasn't been an Asian Tour event since March of last year. I mean, there's been some local tour events like in India and in Thailand for these guys to play in, but for the poor guys who had Asian tour cards yeah. and that's the meat of their earnings, well, we're coming on to 15, 16 15 months, months without yeah. a tournament. Plenty of Australians in that boat too. Trav Smythe is trying to Monday queue his way around um, US at the moment. In fact, the Europe, the Asian tour is doing a fabulous job publicity-wise. They're running a series with some of the players, Trav Smythe included, where they're keeping people up to date with what they're doing. So... Terrific stuff there. Apparently, the US Women's Open's on this week. Did anybody mm-hmm. want to sort of talk about, <laughs> talk about that? Uh, what's going to be of the most interest to you this week, Logue? Uh, Richard, we're both architecture nerds, so the golf course will be uh, top of mind. I think it's a very Sydney-looking landscape, isn't it, that, <laughs> oh, that's that a, Olympic, that hilly? Tough. Well, it is a similar climate, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, probably similar topography as well. It's um, got the eucalypts that you see at yeah. um, Riviera, but- the rest of the shaping and stuff, you could see that course sitting in Sydney. Yeah, I guess you could. Um, I'm not terribly excited at all about the golf course. Um, course or the presentation? A bit a bit of both. I've, I've never really enjoyed uh, watching Olympic. Um, the the uh, little par three course, sorry, not. It's, I don't think it's all par threes, but the, the ocean course they've got is a nine-holer. That, that's the one that looks interesting. And the other thing that interests me about Olympic is the, the – um, Burger dogs that they have there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I'm. I'm hoping to see a little, like you know, the a little piece. D- is Sky doing anything on burger dogs, <laughs> Richard? Uh, not, I haven't been told. Okay. I haven't had the memo yet. No. All right. If you could find that out um, for me, that'd be great. Um, I, I understand what you mean by the, the golf course. You could, you know, like or not, it's going visually, it's going to look great. Yes. You know, with the ocean, the bay, Golden Gate, the and and it's it's the history. It's fantastic that the. The women are playing on these courses. They're playing pine needles oh, next it's a year. Big step Pebble up. Beach. Yeah, yeah. It, the year after, you know, uh, uh, this year, you know, we had Troon for the Women's Open. We're off to Carnoustie next year, and it's fantastic. That, you know, women now are playing on these proper revered golf courses that have got fantastic history to them. That's right. I should I should complete the thought. Like, I it is it is really great to see the women getting to play on these fantastic venues. The thing about Olympic for me is that just the way they present it, Rod, you you hit it on the head there. The the mowing lines just look ridiculous. It's like a nineteen eighties men's US open, isn't it? Is the way yeah. they tend to be dishing it up is the, the long rough and the super narrow fairways. And That's right. And it looks to be a little bit overtreated. The, the bunker placements there don't look um really strategic. We're deep it's, in the first world here, of course. I, <laughs> I, know, this I know, but like we look at we were looking at a photo of the eighteenth hole, which is a pretty storied hole, like going back to Jack Fleck and mm-hmm. all that stuff. You know, and and it's an interesting piece of land that it's on. You know, big dips down and yeah. there's a big kink in the fairway and it's off camber and it's an interesting shot up to a narrow green. But I don't think the bunkers there could be any less strategic. You could not place the bunkers in worse spots or more less interesting less spots. Interesting. And the the mowing lines just ruin the whole strategy, the whole as well, and it just looks ugly that that the that way that that's presented. Like, it's beautifully right. groomed, yes. Like that, it's very expensively presented, 
but uh, I feel like they've taken a good piece of land and made a whole like you know no, blandish sort of a golf like home. a Sydney suburban hole, yeah, like, more park, yeah, something like that. I would have said Barnwell Park. <laughs> there you go. Richard, just back to that, the importance of, and this has happened with the women's PGA as well too, their absolute credit, and I think it's been an enormous uh, stepping stone forward, taking women's golf to those revered courses. It's a kind of a silent statement, but it's a hugely important one, is it not? To watch Lorena Ochoa playing at St. Andrews on the old course there in a women's British Open, that's done as much for the women's game as almost anything those bodies could do, I think. Yeah, it's fantastic for the women's game. It's fantastic for those players. I know how much they appreciate it, how much they wanted it. And going to courses where, you know, we're talking about this course. I said I was at Troon last year. Yeah. Courses where mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to play. Yeah. I mean, Troon very recently. And, of course, with Olympic Club that many, 30 years ago, you couldn't be a, women, a, a women's member. So it's a statement, isn't it? Yes, it, it is. really is. And, again, I think this is – what I was talking about earlier, the chipping away gradually. Yeah. Obviously, a technique golf will get there very slowly, but I think <laughs> it's true, yeah. we will get there. Yeah, indeed. Of course, they're all excited about Troon and Canoosti until they get there, Richard, <laughs> and discover just how <laughs> brutally difficult those golf courses are. Is it the 11th hole at Troon up over the hill there? It's the most difficult drive I've ever seen. Went to the Open at 97 in, at Troon. And stood down there all four days and just thought, well, how do they, where do you hit it? How do you make that carry? Brutally difficult golf courses. And Canoosti, my goodness, talk about the last five holes that will just rip your soul out and stomp on it. Canoosti's the place for you. So, uh, yeah, all good yeah, fun. Yeah, actually, for the women's open, they've actually moved the tee box for the women. So oh, they, they didn't have that same tee the men had in 97. They had it further up and to the left. Okay. But, yeah. I mean, still a tough hole, but Very yeah, much. not as bad as it is. Train line down the right, and all sorts of uh, yeah. all sorts of crazy stuff going there. From a commentator's point of view, from the television coverage point of view, you'll be watching the action unfold, Richard. The course probably won't be uh, occupying front of mind for you. You'll be watching what's going on on the course. What do you expect? Do you have any expectations? You do follow the women's game closely, week to week. Yeah, I, I as I said to you at the start, I mean, I, I expect a, a fantastic story from somewhere. We've had six first-time winners in a row in the majors, 12 of the last 15. So who's not won a major yet? Yeah. If you want to find a winner, find someone who hasn't won a major yet. I suppose Nedley Corder probably springs to mind as probably mm-hmm. the biggest name yet to win a major. Um, it, it's wide open. And there's, I mean, there are some good players in good form as well. So Inby Park, you know, I mean, she's had a win, a second, a third, her US Open records. You know, absolutely outstanding. Eric Jitanagan, you know, a recent winner, of course, another former US Open champion. Um, Lydia Ko. Exactly. She's got a great US Open record, but, you know, hopefully it's, uh, we don't want it to be old Lydia Ko when it comes to US Opens, but old Lydia Ko knocking on the door of major championships. So, I mean, you expect to see those players. It'd be interesting to see how Paddy. Tavatana kept tearing up for the first time in a major as a major champion. How yeah. uh, she deals with that. I've mentioned Hannah Green. I think maybe as an outsider, even someone like Leonie Maguire potentially. Love it. Mm-hmm. Could be someone to watch out for in terms of uh, someone you're probably not even thinking of. But of course, they've had so many players qualify because I think they had 22 qualifiers to get into the US Open. So there'll be a lot of names there you probably aren't Never heard expecting. Of. Yeah. You haven't even heard of before. I mean, there's one player, you know, we talk about great stories. 
just one player we should mention is Leonie Holm. I don't know if you've heard of her. No. She won the British Amateur a couple of years ago at Hillside. So a quick synopsis of this woman, it would make a movie, okay? She was about 13 years old. She gets hit by a car going at 70 kilometers per hour. Apparently told that her parents told that she's got a 4% chance of living. I mean, untold damage to her body, various places, obviously survives, uh, gets to play golf. Uh, obviously, a super intelligent young lady as well. First German to win the British Amateur. Um, just about to start her first season on the Ladies European Tour. COVID strikes. She's got a degree in uh, biopharmaceutical uh, degree. So she helps develop COVID vaccination in Germany where she's from she does get to play on the ladies european tour eventually she makes every single cut and uh, a couple of weeks ago she finished runner up at the south african open it got her into the uh, us open for the week coming up well i know who i'm cheering for this one so so your typical underachiever yeah that's exactly right Um, how do they calculate four percent chance of living It'd be an interesting mathematical so speed at which you hit. Be a mathematical equation, wouldn't it? Four percent. Yeah. Show you the poke. Seventy oh, kilometres an hour is pretty. Fast. That is pretty fast. How fast was the car going? Do we know. <laughs> 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 yes, yeah, so I'd, I'd I'd be asking. Can I see your working out on that, please? I'd like to. See, <laughs> I'd like to see. Yeah, how you arrived at. Like, what are you looking forward to as we wrap it up here? Uh, well, a tremendous field. Uh, you know, women's golf is so stacked at the moment. There's just so many tremendous is players. Is that better than having a dominant player? Was the Tiger Woods era better, or is what we're seeing on the LPGA better where there's uh, it's all shared around? You, you want a bit of both, really, don't you? You'd love to see the favourite win a lot. You know, that's, that's great seeing people stack up a number of victories. But it's just so competitive at the moment, and there's there's, you know, probably a dozen top women golfers who I enjoy watching at the moment. So I'm guaranteed to be entertained. Anybody who's in contention, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, but look, I'm looking out a little bit for Sarah Kemp. I think she's in great form and uh, I'd, I'd love to see her do well on the big stage. Um, I think uh, she's due. And uh, I think Lydia Ko is is one to watch. Patty Tavitanicat, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how she goes. But back to Lydia Ko, she won up the road at Lake Merced mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Um, I think it's a course that is going to fit her game pretty well. You know, she can shape the ball. There's a lot of dog legs. There's a lot of difficult lies um, and short game is, you know, small greens. You're going to have to get the ball up and down. If her short game's on, I think Lydia Coe's going to do really well. Coe 2.0, I'm going with. Yep, you agree? agree? Go Coe 2. I think Lydia Coe, yes. And I, I, I think she showed at the ANA, Richard, that final round was a turning point, I think. There was a bunch of confidence starting to come back into her game. She'd had a couple of close calls and and through her own mistakes had not got the job done. But even though she didn't win the ANA, that Sunday round was otherworldly. That showed her that she's still Lydia Coe, I think, and this is an opportunity. And as you say, without a great record in the US Women's Open, there'll be there's some things to put to bed there. So Lydia Coe maybe. If I have to pick one name, I will say Danielle Kang. Okay. Mm -hmm. She hasn't really done much, has she, recently. But she said last week, and I always look for players that have just found something clicked, and something's clicked. She lost in the quarterfinals of the match play last week, but she was six under for her round. Yeah, that was a great match. I watched that match. It was a fantastic match. And Ali Ewing, we should mention as well. Yes, absolutely. After that victory, and she's playing great golf. But I think the fact... 
Sorry, sorry, legs. I think the fact that she lost in the quarterfinals actually is a good thing. Helped her, you're because right. Yes. Played well and lost, perfect. perfect. Yes, exactly. She's nice to play seven rounds in the Rested-ish, heat. yeah. She's only played, what, three or four rounds. Exactly. And that's so what will work ready. against Ali Ewing is all the emotional stuff. Oh, that's just the, the absolutely that she's exhausted. Just through. Yeah. How does that happen, Richard? A match play event the week before a major. We saw Shen Chen Feng, which we should mention, just said straight out, I concede the third and fourth place match. The US Open next week. Fantastic. Good on her for doing it. But that's a scheduling snafu, isn't it, of major proportions? It's it's not good. I mean, I think match play, it's great. But I assume there was scheduling nightmares for Mike Wong because of what happened last year. I can't believe they'll do that again. But... Isn't it great that Ali Ewing, she married a, the Ewing family from Dallas, which uh, <laughs> oh, really? a certain age. Okay. Yeah. On well, May 30th. McDonald before. It was their anniversary. It was their anniversary on Sunday as well. The husband said this is the second best thing that's ever happened to us on May 30. <laughs> she won the tournament because they got married on May 30 a year or two before. So, yes, look, I agree. There's, a, there's something about – this way. The US Women's Open is the biggest tournament in women's golf, I think. Mm-hmm. Most people acknowledge that, certainly the players. Are. So something mm-hmm. special going to unfold this week. It'll be fantastic to be watching it. I'm not sure. We might get some of your dulcet tones down here in Australia, Richard. I'm not sure. Uh, not for the US Women's Open. You will do if you're watching the Scandinavian mix the week after, which is a I mean, I know you've got to go, but what an interesting concept that is. That's men and women from the Ladies European Tour, the European Tour, Playing for one prize. There's not two separate tournaments. No, that's right. It's just one prize. What's your take on that? It'll be an interesting experiment. The Vic Open, I think, has worked because it's got the balance right. The men and the women play together and all that sort of stuff, but they do play for two separate titles. This one. Well, we've had a few in Australia, of course, the Players Series. We did. Where yeah. we had this concept. We did. What do you reckon, Richard? What do you reckon? I am waiting to see what happens yeah, before I really stick my neck out. I know they played the, the Jordan Mixed Open, yes. which was Challenge Tour, Seniors yeah. Tour, and Ladies European Tour. And that worked pretty well. The setup of the course is going to be crucial, isn't it? so important. It's I, I haven't seen the golf course, obviously, but the course they're playing, Valdo, is kind of a link-style golf course, so firm, fast, and hard-running, obviously, where the dependent, it should be okay this time of the year in Sweden. If it's like that, I think that will help because obviously if you can play it on a fast and hard course, distance should become less of an issue. Um, But what the ultimate test is there's not going to be 18 men and two women in the top 20 or 18 women or two men in the top 20. Mm -hmm. If they can get that balance right and the course setups are going to be so hard to do, then it's going to be a great watch, I think. I think, well, the thing we took away from the Players Series, or the thing I took away at least from the Players Series here in Australia, was that they didn't have the women's tees forward enough. They had it so that their tee shots were ending in the same spot. But that Hit, meant. Hitting to the same green with. But that, that meant Steph Kiriakou was hitting a hybrid sometimes to. Elvis uh, Smiley. Elvis Smiley pitching with. Yeah, exactly. Short iron. And so I, they need to get the second shots working out a little bit more equitably. And. See, it, once you start you, to you try, really had to push the tees way forward to the yes. point of it being a little bit ridiculous. But that that was more to do with the equipment and the men hitting it so far from the back tees. But that's just that's what we've got. That's the cards we've been dealt. So I think you've got to put the tees um, a lot further. I'm saying forward. it now that I'm not a fan of that as a format. I just don't see how you can ever 
it'll be a circular discussion that can never be resolved when when women play directly against men uh, there's always going to be issues of oh the T's here and the T's there I think the Vic Open gets it right it does what the uh, tennis majors do it brings all of fans from all sides of the game and fans of both into the one place at the one time as well as the players fantastic for the game and then you don't have that controversial nonsense about oh well the women competed because they were playing off tees this far forward or mm-hmm. I just don't see any value in that discussion we know that if the very best women players in the world played against the very best men players in the world from the same tees the likely outcome is that the men would win 90 something percent of the time they're two different games. It'd be like asking kids to go and play against the PGA Tour players. It, it's a different It's a different game. So I don't see a lot of value in having – I love the idea of the same venue. More of that makes a whole lot of sense. You've probably not been to the Vic Open, Richard, but it is the I've, I've, carnival. I've seen it, yeah. yeah. No, it's a I know, carnival. I love it. I see a lot of the dogs running around. Yeah. <laughs> they get a lot of other stuff right as well, exactly, yeah. So yeah, It's a great venue. It's great too. I know the players love it. And there's a tournament actually which also I'm doing, which is a, a European tour – LPGA Tour um, tournament, I think Ladies European Tour as well, the ISPFC and World Invitation is in Northern Ireland that's in August, okay. which is going to be exactly the same as the Vic Open Company. Fabulous. Is that Niall Horan who's doing that? His company is at Modest yes, Golf? His, yeah, his yeah. company, Modest Golf, is organised. Yeah. What that. a fabulous addition he and his company might be to the game in the long run. I think we'll look back in 20 or 30 years and say, my goodness, they're doing some amazing things. Joined up with the RNA Modest Golf to work on ideas. Mm-hmm. No set thing, just let's work together. You, you've got the cool kids. We want the cool kids. How do we get the cool kids into golf? So that'll be fantastic. Well, there are things happening in golf, Richard. Been fantastic to, t- to chat to you today. I'm sure you don't need to tell you to enjoy the golf this week. I'm sure you will, as will we. But been great to have you aboard, and love to catch up with you again at some point in the future. Thanks for taking the time, mate. No, pleasure. Really enjoyed it, guys. Thanks so much. Fantastic. Next time, I promise, we'll talk about the tournament that we're supposed to at some point during the discussion before the end. Great to have you aboard, Logue, as always. Uh, thanks very much, Rod, and thanks, Richard. Episode 77 of the Good Good Golf podcast in the books, which means that next week we'll be back with episode 78 when we'll know who did win the US Women's Open.